Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. A lot of things have changed since we last had Tom Singer on the podcast, and a lot has changed about the networking environment here in Austin. Today, we're going to talk about what that new environment looks like and how that impacts the creative collisions that is part of our culture and a big part of what makes Austin thrive. Tom, welcome back to the Austin Next Podcast. Hey, it's exciting to be back. Is it true I'm your first repeat guest? Yes, you are. Episode 50 and one repeat guest. That's a good number. I like that. So lots have changed. Tell us about what's going on. Well, since I was last here, I took on the role as the CEO at the Austin Technology Council. And the Austin Technology Council is a 30-year-old industry organization that was founded to help bring together the community of technology. I mean, it was a very different scene 30 years ago, you can imagine, and bring it together and help put technology on the map as the economic driver of the Austin area. Well, check. Obviously, that that has happened. Nobody nobody doesn't know about that. And so in some ways, ATC is like a 30-year-old startup. We're, we're trying to, to change some things up and move forward for the next decade or, or next three decades. In the past 30 years, right, some things have changed. The challenges to networking groups, community groups, it could be a good question on what, how we phrase, what we use those terms differently. You know, some of the macro trends are really causing some different changes. So I wanted to kind of throw a couple out there because I think one of the biggest issues that we face is a couple of challenges that all lead to, in the end, siloed networks. So one of the things that you said on our, you know, the Austin Mortar episode was we used to have a three name tag day, right? Uh, you could go to all these different events, you know, a, a coffee, a lunch, a dinner. And so one of the things that I see why you can't do that so much anymore is, and it's amazing how just in the year since we last talked about this, is the geographic spread, right? It is not all downtown. Now we're talking about movie studios in Bastrop and, and San Marcos. We've got factories up in Georgetown, Samsung coming to Taylor. It's spreading. And that doesn't even count the growth of ASA. So it is true. 30 years ago, if you were in the Arboretum, you could be downtown in 15 minutes. If you were, you know, downtown, you could be, you know, on uh, wherever else on the west side, you could go out to Barton Creek Country Club in 15 or 20 minutes. It wasn't geographically as spread out and there weren't as many people. So you weren't fighting all of the traffic issues that are involved. So there's a couple things that have come in. One is the changes to Austin are obviously a big influence in the way we network and the way we connect and where we can be and what time of day we can have events. But the other thing is the world has changed. The way we connect with people, you know, the digital world of LinkedIn and Twitter and, and Facebook and mobile phones, those things didn't exist 30 years ago. So you have the the, the macro and the micro changes that have, have really impacted everything. So yeah, the world is different, but that doesn't mean that the need to connect has gone away. We just have to find new, fresh ways to do that. Yeah, but on top of not only do we have the the physical spread, but then we have, I'd say, the the sector and nature of work spread as well. So one of the great superpowers of Austin is we're a really diverse sector base. We have electric vehicles, life science, crypto, B2B SaaS, rockets, you know, you name it. And so people obviously want to network within those those sectors. 
But then we want to see kind of cross-sector pollination. I think some of the best creative collisions happen that way. And the last is that we also have remote work. There are lots of people who live in Austin, but the nature of what they do is outside of it. And probably when they're thinking about networking, a lot of times they're maybe thinking outside of it. So that, that digital component you're saying also cuts against what we're doing. Sure, absolutely. And you know, you bring up a really interesting point. The Austin Technology Council was founded 30 years ago as the Austin Software Council. Because while at the time, 30 years ago, we did have some big semiconductor fabs and we did have Dell and, and some other you know hardware companies, the real growth of our industry came out of this software world. So we started with that vertical, but now software is just one component of what comes out. You, you named all many of the verticals and there's that many more again that exist. So that is a very true thing. And within many of those verticals, we now have different groups that exist to serve those groups. And that's awesome. You know, my idea about the future of the Austin Technology Council is, you know, we're not in competition with a, you know, a biotech group or, you know, any type of thing that you could you know, think of a, a medical device group. We're not in competition with them. We're in collaboration with them. And so you're right, the, the whole landscape has changed. And because of that, it's time that we move forward in different ways. The other thing is, is that we don't need another happy hour. There's plenty of that that goes on through meetup and through different things. But what we really need is ways to bring people together to have community, collaboration, and conversations. And, and that means a lot of things wrapped under those three words, but that's really what we need for this community. Well, so let's unpack that then. We talked about the nature of networking groups. We talked about whether we call it community groups. Why is it that we want to be bringing people, besides the obvious kind of social aspects and, you know, people knowing each other is better, but, you know, what is the driving force behind creating these types of groups and bringing people together? Well, even in a world where we are, we are fascinated and drawn to all of these digital connections, right? Likes, links, shares, and follows for the last 10 or 12 years has been what everybody has thought was that was their network. We have moved to this digital world and don't get me wrong. I am a huge fan of all of the, the social and the digital tools that we use to communicate. I mean, imagine if the pandemic had happened in 1997, if we go back in time to 1997, we barely had cell phones. I mean, we had them, but not everybody had them. They certainly weren't the smartphone and not everybody was actively using the internet. It was pervasive, but it wasn't fully pervasive with everybody. If the pandemic had happened, we would have had no communication or very little communication. Well, can you imagine all those things were metered by time? Right. Every minute you were on a cell phone, click. Every minute you were on the internet on AOL or CompuServe, click. And the ability to download the, the you know, I mean, imagine how much you would have heard if the pandemic had happened back then. So we were fortunate that these communication tools existed the way they exist for what we've just been through. However, we can't discredit the fact that people, are, sort of our human nature hasn't changed. And while some people don't need to have that social connection and that shared collaboration in person over a cup of coffee, a beer, a meal, the truth is, is that many people still do and people that we've proven are hungry for that. So, so we need these groups from, from that social standpoint that you mentioned, but also when, when you get together face to face, you have a different relationship than if you're over zoom or you're over some social media platform. Uh, I've met both of you for tacos at taco deli several times. That seems to be like our breakfast meeting place. But 
if we had only had that one interview and maybe a couple of texts back and forth, we wouldn't have the same the same feeling that I'm having doing this interview right now as we have because several times we've sat down and had breakfast tacos. So sharing experiences are not only how we build relationships, but it's how we build that vibe that becomes that sense of community. So I, I think that we still have a need for physical meetings, but they don't all just have to be get together at a happy hour. There's lots of ways we can bring people together in person and online for learning and shared community. And now you've spilled our secret. Taco Deli breakfast, that's how we meet people. Yeah. Okay. But I think it's, I think it's an important thing you're unpacking there with the digital experiences and tools that we've had and the want for physical in-person. And I can speak, look, I can speak for me only in this case. My bar has been raised for the in-person, right? It is the experience. It is the connection. And in many ways, that 100-person happy hour, I'm not saying I'm 100% don't go to them anymore, but it takes a lot to kind of get me. And in many ways, when I go to them, it's more of supporting people behind them than necessarily getting something out of it because a huge fan of, of Lunch Club, which is basically, you know, for people who don't know, you know, blind date networking, right? And I've met an amazing number of people in Austin that way. And it's one-on-one -on -one communication, right? And as you said, we've sat down for, for tacos and that's that experience, that communication, when you have a, whether it's the coffee the, the, or the happy hour and then you can't hear and you're hoping for that type of serendipity. And so when I look at what I want to be a part of and what the nature of the events or the are the connections are, I know my bar has been raised. I've been, I've also been to like a 25 person highly curated happy hour. That was probably one of the best events I've gone to since being here. Well, and there's a time and a place for big open events and there's a time and a place for small curated events. But, you know, I think we have to be careful because if everything is a small curated event, we end up inside a bubble once again. Right. And right diversity, and I mean diversity in the ways that we talk about it in, in society of, of race and of gender and of age, but also diversity of thought and diversity of experience brings a lot of things to the table. And so if everything is small and curated, sometimes we miss out on some of that. And, you know, that I get worried about sort of everything being siloed in the fact that people go, oh, isn't this great? We're here with our people. But it's sometimes it's it's those people you didn't expect to have a conversation with where you're like, oh, my God, you know, they're super awesome. And so I think there needs to be new ways to do some of these. I think we need to do it. And I don't have the answers yet. And in fact, one of the things I'm doing is I'm reaching out to people in the community saying, how can we at the Austin Technology Council do things differently? Our big signature event is coming up in October, and it's called the CEO Summit. We've been doing it for, for 20 years and it is where we bring together C-suite executives. And if they're not in the C-suite, maybe they're a director because it's a national company. It's the people who lead the office. It's not for salespeople. It's not for just anyone in the company. It's for people who are in a leadership role in Austin. And there's panel discussions. There's discussions at the tables. And then there's a fascinating keynote. This year we have uh, Sarah Jones Simmer, who is the CEO of Found and was one of the people who helped take Bumble public. And she has an amazing story. So her keynote's going to be you know, worth the price of admission because she's fascinating and super smart and is really moving mountains with what she's doing now. But I say that in the fact that there's more than just going and hearing a speaker and having happy hour. There's going to be actual discussions about topics around, you know, innovation, around, you know, uh, different things that are important to these C-level executives. So that's a different type of event. It's pseudo curated because you have to be at that certain level. But at the same time, 
it's open to anybody and you just don't know who you're going to sit with. And so that serendipity of being with some people also adds that level where that aha comes together, especially when you have people from those different verticals, those different sectors coming together and sharing what we are as the Austin technology community. But that event takes place once a year. And so I want to have two or three other events that are that are different and unique that aren't just a happy hour. And so I'm, I'm looking to the community for what's a different way to do this. Well, and it's funny, before we got on air, you know, Michael and I were chatting and it, it's funny that hitting on that exact thing is was struggling with, okay, the rand, not the, the random happy hour that happens on a Thursday that this event going, I'm like, it's not really working for me, but you're putting that exact happy hour in the context of something like South by, and suddenly it does work. And part of that may be, you know, when you get into the event structure, right? Like we were saying, okay, so if I meet, if I do have that serendipity at a happy hour, I'm like, oh, I'm well, I'll take your business card and maybe we'll follow up down the road. Versus when you have these more conferences, events, and so forth, the likelihood that your second meeting is still at that event is probably pretty high. And so what can we, you know, what can we take from the digital space? What can we take from these conference spaces and start bringing them in to create more high value events that says, yes, I want to go to that because it's something different and inter interesting. Well, I think, I think you're right. It's if, if it's just, you know, oh, you have to go 10 or 12 times to an event before people know that you exist and there's no follow-up, but that, that comes down to the individual. I had a meeting. In fact, I saw you at the Austin Venture Association and I had a meeting with somebody and we had a follow-up and they very well might be joining the Austin Technology Council and maybe somebody from their senior team interested in joining our board because they're very focused on community issues and how can we grow the community? And we just had this meeting of the minds. Now, I don't know that they're going to join. I don't know that they'll be selected for the board, but it was that excitement that they want to be part of something that's at the grassroots. And that's really where I think the Austin Technology Council in its current form, as we're trying to reiterate it, that's what we have to do. We have to get back to that basics of how it started 30 years ago of being a grassroots group of people who care about what are we doing tomorrow? You know, there's six or 7,000 tech companies in Austin. I don't expect all of them to join. Uh, I know that they all won't. Not everybody cares. Not everybody has the time. Not everybody has the bandwidth. And, and it's certainly not everybody's cup of tea. But if I had three or 400 grassroots oriented companies with leaders and not just the CEO, I mean, people throughout their leadership who say, you know what, we care about where Austin's going in the next 30 years. And they were to come together and meet other people who had that same drive for where are we going in the future? Amazing things can happen. I mean, I look back at the past of just the organization I work for. We go back to George Kosmetsky and Pike Powers and uh, Laura Kilcreast and Carol Thompson. I mean, there could be 40 names that, that we throw out there of these people who 30 years ago said, you know, if we work together, we lay the groundwork and we think long-term, Austin could become this huge tech center. And I think the idea all along in Austin wasn't to be Silicon Valley junior, but as you guys say on your show, you know, to be Austin, you know, what, and so as we move forward, it's, it goes back to the name of your show. What's next for Austin and how do we do it intentionally? That what we have, this wasn't an accident. This was a curated plan by some community leaders who said we can be more than we were in the past. We can have a diverse technology community, an ecosystem, if you will, that really allows us to weather those ups and downs that happen in any one sector. That didn't happen by accident. That was a thought out plan. And so here we are today thriving to some, you know, in most extents, how you look at it. But I worry that if we don't pay attention to where are we in 10 years, 
if we don't kill the golden goose, we, we could injure the golden goose. And I think we need to, to cultivate that future. Well, and I think it comes down to the, the, that the culture of these events, community organizations, networks, whatever you want to call them, matches what you said, right? Because what I found a lot of times that, and I don't care if it's digital and say, and say a Slack channel or, or a physical happy hour or whatever, it's very transactional. And, and that, not that it's a bad thing. It's, it's I have, I give, I take, but it's always that very first order. I'm there for a very specific goal versus the, what you described, which is, look, let's take it to the second order effect. If the Austin innovation ecosystem is thriving, I will thrive. I don't have to necessarily, so I can just build to build it. And, you know, the other pieces will come versus the purely transactional nature of some of these conversations. I mean, that was always the worst. And I use that a little harshly networking events are the ones are like everybody who you talk to, if you're a person who wants to build and help help and everybody you talk to is I'm looking for money, I want to sell you something or I'm looking for a job. Your then next statement usually is, I don't know if I want to come back to that, right? Because it's just, it's just too much. So my, my background was previous, I, I worked for myself for a long time as a, as a speaker and a trainer for company and association meetings. But before that, I was in business development roles, not inside tech companies. I don't have a technology background. However, I worked for a law firm, two law firms, a bank and a consulting firm who all worked within the tech community. And so if you go back 15 years, I went to all these events. I was a participant, but as a business development officer, I knew that the event itself was not the place to be like, hey, you know, buy my law firm or, or come to our bank or, or this consulting firm will, will be the one that helps you. I knew that it was to be part of the community. And that was always the first goal. And because that was the first goal, I was pretty successful in those roles. You know, people knew who I was. They also knew that I wasn't gonna shove something down their throat. And I became a connector where it was like, oh, you need to know Bobby or you need to know Suzanne. And if I made an introduction, people knew it wasn't just a whim that I had thought it out. And I think that's what the people who are trying to sell things need to remember is it's like dating. You wouldn't ask someone to marry you on the first date. Now I, I've said this on like big stages with like 2000 people. And there's often someone who comes up and says, well, my cousin did that. You know, they met someone and they got, in, they got married the next day. Well, we have a bad habit in our society. And that is we look to the outliers and love to right. tell those stories. Well, that's an outlier. The truth is, is that when you go to a networking event, whether it's a happy hour that's just a one-off or whether it's a monthly happy hour, whether it's a luncheon with a speaker or whether it's something like the, the Austin Technology Council CEO Summit or it's one of these curated things that's taking place at Perry's Steakhouse, whatever it is, if you go in and realize that this is tonight isn't about me, there's a time and a place to make the sale. But if you go in and say, tonight's about who am I going to meet? And how interesting are they going to be? And how can I unpack what we have in common and how can we share this experience? If you do that enough times, you're going to find your funding, you're going to make your sales, et cetera. It's all going to come to you. And, and that's really my core belief is that if you're part of the community, if you believe in collaboration and if you're having conversations over the long run, you're going to win. And that's kind of the thread I want to pull on for a second. You started naming some people and you said, yeah, I can think of 40 people at the beginning of ATC and we did this and we did that, or they did this and they did that. I could say the same thing about San Diego. I could say the same thing about Orange County. I'm sure the folks in Atlanta could say the same thing and the folks in Houston and Dallas and everybody else. It always looks at those, that small group of people in the community who are willing to get together 
leave the egos and the politics and the self needs at the door and say, we need to get this done. And that takes a certain amount of selflessness. It takes a lot of uh, long-term thinking. And then there's that other L word, you know, leadership kind of thing. So, okay, you've come into ATC, you're working through this new set of programs with your board and your staff, and you're going to come up with something amazing. Do you have those 40 people? Do they, are they here? Do you have them? Can you call on them? So I don't know that we have everybody in place. One of the things that happens as you have a maturity in a community, and you're right, you could say this about all these, all these different cities and things like that. When you get to a maturity of it, it's harder to find people who say, hey, let's build something because it, it's already built. The other thing, if you go back 30 years, you could find the community leaders because they all were having drinks on Thursday night at the Four Seasons. Now, because we've become so diverse and you've got people in Taylor and you got people in the domain and you have people in Buda and you have people in South Austin, you have people over on the east side, because people don't go to one location anymore, it's not like you're going to see all of those community leaders. So you need to get back to sort of that grassroots feel. And that's what I'm trying to do right now is, you know, I may not have 40 or, or 200 of them, but there's a lot of people who are involved in the organization that I'm with and a lot of these other organizations who do care. And so it's a matter of, of sort of uncovering the rocks and finding those, those right people. And yet, if you look to cities like Nashville, Pittsburgh, Phoenix, they have groups that are super active and have hundreds of members and people are, you know, diving from the tech companies to get involved with these different tech organizations. And when I ask why, the answer is they want what we have. So the growing communities tend to be the ones where everybody comes together and says, let's do that because they're looking forward. And I think that's what, you know, we need to do now is we need to realize we're not done growing. The best days of Austin are still ahead, which means we need to have those people and they're out there and, you know, they're, they're there. So yes, I, I have some of them and I, I've been, you know, I haven't been super involved in the community for the last decade because I had this business that took me out of town a lot. So I don't necessarily know all of them, but they exist. They're there. And what we have to do is provide a series of platforms because my organization is not going to be the right fit for everybody. And not everybody can, you know, if you, if you got 6,000 people, you're going to have a lot of noise, but there's a lot of these organizations. And that's why I think if these organizations, instead of being competitive, say, let's partner how can we help drive people to your event? How can we support your cause? And then we do that reciprocally. All of a sudden, everybody finds their own home. When people feel they have a home in this ecosystem of organizations where they can be heard and they can make an impact, if you find it, if everybody can find their own home and those different organizations can work together, because we all have different causes. You know, Capital Factory is a great organization, but it's very different than ATC. Our, our charges are different. What we do is different. What we want to do is different. So why we don't compete with them? We are a partner with them and them with us. And so, you know, whoever it is, uh, Austin Women in Technology, great organization. You know what? Why should we be competing with them? Instead, let's tell our membership, hey, there's this great organization, you know, that is doing the, this, this Austin Women in Technology meetup, you know, celebrating their 20th anniversary. We promote that. And some people would say, well, why would ATC promote that? That's a competition. No, it's not. Because Austin has now an ecosystem. And when you have a real honest to God ecosystem, we all thrive when everybody thrives, but we all fail when everybody fails. So we have to, I think as a community, get behind that idea that I don't have to belong to everything. I don't have to network at everything. But if each of these groups supports each other, the right people will find their spots. And all of a sudden, 10 years from now, 
people will be like, I want what Austin has at a new level. Let me ask you a question, because now that you are on the inside of one of these groups, I have a sneaking suspicion there's a tension between the business model you just described and the financial model for the group. I don't know that it's a tension. I mean, the reality is in order to support these groups, there have to be companies that pay dues and sponsor things. You know, and again, I'm open to new business models. That's one of the things, you know, I've been doing since I started. I call it sort of a listening tour. And that is I'm meeting with members, former members, people who've never been members. And I'm saying, what can we do differently? Now, most people don't have an idea or an answer. Some people call me two weeks later and go, oh, I thought of you on my drive today. I have an idea. Sometimes it's a good idea. Sometimes it's like, yeah, that's not going to work. But uh, I don't think it's a tension. But I think it's one of those things that we have to realize that if, if we want this ecosystem to thrive, there's got to be some people who, who support it and say, you know what, we'll put in our time or our money or be evangelists for these groups so that they can grow and thrive. I mean, not everybody has the budget to support every single group that's out there. Great. But, you know, every company should be supporting something. So we're at an inflection point, as I like to say in Austin, not the inflection It's probably the sixth of the last, you know, 20, 30 years and, you know, 30th, if you go back to the, the founding, that's the one thing that we can definitely say is a consistent theme of Austin is uh, change. Do you see, and I, I look at this and I see organizations, people stepping up or maturing or kind of falling off. Like the, the example I like to give a lot, like, you know, we've had a whole ton of big name venture capitalists move here, bringing in lots of dollars and lots of, you know, name, name and brand recognition. So what did all of our local VCs do? They all raised their biggest funds ever. So like they're stepping up and say, yeah, we're going to be part of this and so forth, right? I asked the same question kind of on this, the networking and community organizations. I mean, do you see this as a moment of consolidation? Do you see new things coming up? Do you see some of the, you know, mainstays going away? I'm not asking this to name names, but just think like, what do you see that dynamic occurring in this space? Well, I mean, whether it's a company or whether it's a nonprofit, you know, change happens. I mean, you can go back and, you know, you can look at, at companies that, that led the, the Fortune 500 10, 15 years ago that are, that are out of business, you know, so and in the for-profit world, things rise and things fall. Same thing is true in this sort of nonprofit and, and organizational world. And not, not everybody, not every sort of one of these, and I'm using air quotes, groups has the same setup. So we're all very different. If you look at the ecosystem of associations or, or networking groups or whatever you want to call it, they're, they're all very different in the way they're set up. So it's not apples to apples. But the pandemic and some of the changes that have happened because of it and alongside of it hasn't necessarily been kind to membership organizations. Budgets have been slashed. Uh, the need for in-person vanished for two years. Now, of course, it's back. But, you know, that impacted people who paid dues. There weren't things to be sponsored. So a lot of organizations have, have waned. Some have thrived and grown. So I, I just think that's a natural part of business is certain things are going to rise, certain things are going to go away. But I think that, again, if we're not competitive, but we're collaborative, I think there's room for some consolidation. I think there's some of these groups that could bolt themselves together and say, you know, we did this and you did that. What if one group comes and does these things together? You know, I think that's a strong model. I mean, it's obviously a model that happens in the business world. So maybe it's true for these networking groups. I, I don't think every single thing needs to be band-aided together, you know, and, and continue. But at the same time, if there's a grassroots group of people who care deeply about the mission of that organization, then yeah, it should keep going. We're talking a lot about kind of fostering connections, community, you know, the grassroots term you use a lot. 
One of the other main functions of these types of groups is professional development and knowledge sharing. Obviously, you're not doing knowledge sharing at a, at a hundred person happy hour professional development. How do you see that part of the equation evolving? Well, I think that's a huge part of it, right? It's it's professional development. It's what can we do to help educate your 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 staff? How can we add some things that are interesting? So one of the things we did, and I don't know if we'll keep it forever, but when I came in to ATC, one of the things we did is we added a webinar series. And what it was, was I'm, I'm, I have contact because of my background being a professional speaker. I have contact with some people who would be really expensive to bring in to speak and would be really expensive to hire to do a webinar, but they're my personal friends. And so the first one we did was with a, a woman named Eliz Green, and she does stress training for engineers at NASA. Now, we couldn't afford to bring her in, but she's a very good friend of mine. I said, would you do this webinar? And, you know, our first attempt at a webinar, we had 70 people show up and like 40 some odd, you know, sign up and then 40 some odd come. I mean, that's not huge numbers, but the people who came, it was like, wow, it was really good look at stress. That's something that's important. And we reached out to our member companies and said, this is open to everybody. You don't even have to be a member, but this is important to anyone at any level inside a company. The next one we did was with a guy named Todd Capone, who has a best-selling book called The Transparency Sale. And so he was talking about sales. And again, we had even more people come to that one. This month in September, we have the guy from NASA, who I actually know through my friend who trains at NASA, who runs NASA's Lessons Learned program. And what they've done is they've looked at the problems that they've had, right? There was the Apollo fire, uh, Apollo 1, there was the fire, there was Columbia, there was Challenger. And instead of burying those problems, over the years, they've realized that if we learn from our mistakes and talk about them publicly, we're going to be stronger tomorrow. So they started this whole department called the Lessons Learned Program, and he's going to come and do a webinar for us in a few weeks that is about you know, how companies can learn from their past to make their future stronger. And that's going to be our biggest attended one ever. So, you know, it's it's finding new ways to bring value that's not just to the CEO or the CFO, but anyone in the community. And again, we're opening these up. You don't have to be a member to send your people. We call it ATC Unplugged for the webinar series so that it's open to everybody because we want to provide value that maybe you couldn't get everywhere else. And I think that that's a thing is that we have to be providing as a as an organization we have to be providing things not just for the CEOs to be able to network together. I mean, that's great, but an offering that our members and, and members of our community can share outwardly. So, you know, that's a big part of what we have to do. And you have to get creative and bring in people who aren't the regular people who we see at all of the same events around town. And that's why, you know, a webinar was the more effective way uh, financially for me to be able to do that. So, Tom, we always ask the same question as we wrap up, and you've a answered before, but I'm going to actually make it a two-parter here. First, I want to start off with, what's next ATC? You know, I wish I knew all those answers. I'm, I'm still involved. I've only been there a couple of months. I'm still involved with trying to get those grassroots people to come out and say, hey, here's an idea. I'm still looking for, for, for what we can do to, to reshape sort of part of it. I mean, it's not going to be a drastic change, but I'm looking for ideas, and we're in a community that has visionary thought leaders. So- we should be able to get a lot of ideas. So I don't know that I know what's next. I do know that we want to support the growth of technology companies in Austin, and we want to be a conduit that helps bring that community together for what I've said before, and that is community, collaboration, and conversation. So I think it's just more of that. So with ATC building more of that, what's next, Austin? 
You know, I'm I am bullish on Austin. I'm I'm worried about that golden goose. I think that Austin is a story that will be written about for generations. What we did in a 30 year time period as a community, not just a tech community, but as the whole community. And a lot of this credit has to go to the Chamber of Commerce. You know, they recruited these big employers, the Samsungs, going back to Texas Instruments, you know, going back 30 years. You know, they have worked to bring big employers here so that we could have the infrastructure that would be there to anchor this ecosystem that has grown out. So, you know, I think that we need, we, we've accomplished that, but we can't get complacent. I, the only thing that makes me sad is when I talk to an entrepreneur who doesn't care, who says, you know, if, if Austin goes down, I'll just move somewhere else. And I've talked to a few of those people. Mm. That makes me sad because when I moved here, there were PhDs waiting tables at Z Tejas because there was no way they were going to leave Austin. I moved here 31 years ago and there were people who, you know, Austinites, and I may have said this the first time you interviewed me, Austinites have an unnatural love affair with Austin. I love that quote. They're going to stay and they're going to build and they're going to do it. And so when I meet people who don't have that, and there's been plenty, people have come and gone for 150 years in Austin. It makes me sad because I think that what builds Austin next is those people who are like, I'm rolling up my sleeves and finding a way to make my company work here, make my career work here, make my family work here. And when people have that unnatural love affair with this place as their home, that's where I think we get to go farther and farther and farther. So the good news is most people that I talk to, at least on some level, have that. So I, I think that's that's where we go. Is I think I think the best days are ahead. Are we gonna have some problems? Oh yeah, I mean, there's, you know, we obviously have, you know, the cost of living. We obviously have transportation issues. There's a whole bunch of things that we have to address that goes back to, we gotta be having conversations about it if we wanna solve those problems. Tom Singer, now president of Austin Technology Council and our good friend, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.